Greetings and salutations from Times Square, crossroads of the world. This is the Muni Lowdown, produced by DebtWire Municipals, where we talk about this week's most interesting stories in the municipal bond market. And I am your host, Young Lim, desk editor at DebtWire Municipals. Hello again and welcome to the podcast. Today is Tuesday, December 3rd. And our topic today is cybersecurity, its impact on issuers, and how the market's looking at it from a bondholder's perspective and analytical take. We've got two of our reporters here online. We've got Kathy O'Donnell in, from Harrisburg, PA, and Chuck Stanley from a nation's capital, Washington, DC. Just by prefacing uh, the story, we're gonna talk about credits and issuers. And to our listeners out there, we wanna mention how the big credit that we covered was Baltimore. And the city in Maryland had an attack earlier this year in May, and they're estimating their cost to be about $18 million, which includes a cost related to recovery of its information technology systems and, and this is the big one, lost revenue related to the city's inability to collect property taxes and other fees and fines while its computers were down. The attackers were asking for about $76,000 in ransom, which the city refused to pay. So Kathy, how are you doing out there? Doing well, Jan. How are you doing? I'm okay. So let's talk about cyber attacks. And they continue to be a concern in Muniland overall. And it looks as if a town in New Jersey called Livingston Public Schools recently had an event. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, Jan. Livingston uh, School Superintendent uh, said in a November 22nd announcement uh, that its servers were hacked by an outside entity and infected with ransomware, which is designed to encrypt data. Um, And a spokesman for Livingston Schools uh, told me yesterday that they contacted the Livingston Police Department about the crime, who in turn reported it uh, to the appropriate county and state authorities, as well as to the FBI. She declined to comment on anything related to the ransom, citing the ongoing investigation. Um, But you can imagine how central communication is for a school district. But one of the things that kind of jumped out at me in the superintendent's message that struck me was that there was, as he said, no impact on college transcripts at this time. And that was a worry that it didn't hmm. even you know, strike me that that could be something that might be impacted. So, oh. um, you know, it's, it's all kinds of tentacles out there. That's interesting. I guess we're, I guess um, someone's not going to Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Well, that's their excuse, maybe. I guess. I guess the, the, the system was hacked. Okay. So, Kathy, I know you wrote a story about, uh, and you reported on that the FBI, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, strongly encourages entities such as Livingston Schools to report such, incident, such incidents. Now, how does that help? Well, the FBI strongly encourages municipalities and other public entities that have been hit with a cyber attack to contact their local FBI field office and to file a detailed complaint with something called IC3, which is an acronym for the agency's Internet Crime Complaint Center. And IC3 tracks trends and indicators of compromise, and then it shares that information with investigators and, if it's appropriate, with um, folks in the private sector who partner uh, with those investigators. Um, The FBI believes that just a fraction of victims overall report ransomware attacks, 
And the more in, you know, information the FBI has about those attacks, uh, how they're evolving, you know, the more effective it can be in fighting them. And at least that's what an ex-FBI spokesperson told me when I was writing that story. And I just want to uh, clarify, I think in your article you had something interesting that the FBI noted, that a cyber attack could be obviously not just issuers, individuals obviously across the world get attacked. And FBI distinguishes and as like the credits that we cover the issuers as an enterprise, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. They would fall into that category, yes. Interesting. So let's talk about ransom. When it comes to that, what does the FBI have to say about it? The FBI definitely advises against paying the ransom. Right. Because they pay, say paying that kind of extortion, it just encourages the bad guys. And there's no guarantee that if you're the victim, you're going to be able to decrypt your data. They're, they might not you know, honor the alleged agreement, or you might not get all the data back. So they definitely say, do not cave into the demand. But as you can imagine, it can be difficult if you're a hospital or a school or something. So, but the FBI would encourage you not to cave in. Right, like 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 Baltimore has not uh, given in. So, but overall, why is there a reluctance to report it? Well, as one consultant told me, the default position among municipalities is quote to cover up and deny. <laughs> and it's almost as if the municipalities are afraid to mention the word cyber attack for fear that they're going to get targeted. Um, and a key problem that I hear of uh, when it comes to oversight for IT security is that it is often housed within the IT department itself. Um, instead of being seen as something that requires kind of executive level oversight. And you can imagine how important uh, communication is for things like cities and schools and school, you know, hospitals. Um, but municipalities um, often silo this within the IT department. Um, and what one of the uh, consultants I spoke with told me was that municipalities need to have an IT security plan that comes from the top down because IT staff they get very busy putting out kind of the daily fires that happen associated with the IT world. And sometimes the kind of procedures necessary to safeguard against incursions, they get overlooked in kind of the day-to-day hustle and bustle. Um, So that is something that uh, he recommended that they really need something that comes, you know, they see IT security as not something that is, you know, the responsibility of the IT department, but is kind of housed at, you know, the mayor level or the kind of executive level. Um, and in addition, you know, cyber attacks don't always occur at the most opportune times. For example, this Livingston Public Schools one occurred, you know, pretty much right before Thanksgiving. And there was an attack in Allentown, PA, that occurred while its mayor was on trial for federal corruption uh, charges. Um, so uh, that is something, you know, they, the problems that you have don't always happen, you know, when you're ready for them. So, uh, so, so that is something to kind of be wary of. And I know Allentown was considering cyber insurance last time I checked with them. I know that's also, a, a, you know, cyber insurance is a topic that Chuck has written about. Right. Uh, Chuck's going to talk about that in a second. But let me, let's go back to Allentown for a second. So I know you wrote an article about Allentown, and they have... So they have not, uh, they're concerning cyber insurance. And tell me a little bit about the policy, the, um, the deductible, the premium. Tell me what you know at this point. 
Sure. Well, to be fair, I have, they, they might have, uh, have adopted at this point, but I haven't uh, followed up, uh, which I should. Uh, but what I spoke to Matthew Libert, who is the uh, city's chief information officer, and what he told me back in June was that they were uh, looking at obtaining cyber in, uh, insurance for the city, and it was expected to cost them $30,000 a year and provide about $2 million worth of coverage. Um, and at the time, he declined to name the provider. But... He saw that um, along with, I think, 961000 that Allentown spent on two Microsoft contracts uh, following uh, a 2018 attack, not as expenses, but as more of an investment. And he really, um, what he kind of wanted to get across was that he sees this as a an investment in Allentown that he would think from a rating agency per, you know, perspective, this kind of makes Allentown a better credit because they now have addressed this situation, they're looking at it, and um, it's more of an investment and it. it kind of makes them, uh, you know, they're, they're having bolstered defenses against cyber attacks, makes them kind of a better bet. Well, interesting. And uh, I got one. And before I have one last question for you, Kathy, but mm-hmm. going back, you also wrote another article about how, because you talk about uh, IT people before, and since municipalities are part of the public sector, the IT people, the local governments find it hard to pay competitively because if you're an IT person, you'd rather work in the private sector to make a lot more money than the public sector, mm-hmm. which indirectly affects the IT department as a whole. Yes, um, that's absolutely a concern. I, I spoke with um, some folks uh, last year and Linda Murphy um, up to Rowe Price and one of the things that, that she mentioned was you know with the employment rate so low that it's hard for localities to hire a strong tech person because they're in high demand and you know localities in particular their systems might be outdated and probably more susceptible and I also uh, there was a good report actually that S&P Global Ratings uh, put out um, Jeff um, Buswick I believe um, and one of the things that he cited as a risk was, you know, the aging workforce and a move toward more technological solutions with municipalities, um, whether it's cameras or all types of things. And, you know, municipalities, they, by definition, they're governments and they have, you know, transparency requirements. So he cited kind of, you know, in the report, a silver tsunami in the municipal workforce that will you know, could contribute to cyber risk as municipalities look to replace retiring tech workers and they vie with the historically higher paying private sector. Okay. Kathy, I got one last question for you. We were talking about cyber insurance. So do you think having cyber insurance makes a difference for a municipality? Well, from what I understand, such cyber insurance policies have compliance requirements, which I would take as a credit positive because it's an indicator that the municipality or the school district is better prepared in the event of an attack. And, you know, as the Livingston School Superintendent said in his announcement, these attacks are unfortunately becoming more common. And uh, I'm sure, as you recall, I think it was late 2018, there were two Iranian men who were indicted for deploying ransomware uh, to extort hospitals, municipalities, and public institutions. And that cost, I believe, more than $30 million in losses. And victims there included um, Newark and Atlanta, as well as a number of healthcare institutions. So it is uh, a growing worry. Thank you very much, Kathy. Let's move on to Chuck, and let's keep following the topic of cyber insurance. Chuck, how are you doing out there? 
I'm doing great. Thanks, John. All right. So, Chuck, you recently wrote about a new cyber insurance policy taken out by the, let's see, the Chicago Transit Authority. What can you tell us about that? Uh, that's right. The Chicago Transit Authority's Finance Committee recently greenlit the purchase of a $5 million cyber insurance policy that carries a $72,000 premium and a $100,000 deductible. And that, uh, as I said, that gives them up to $5 million in coverage. Uh, I think it really showcases the growing awareness among issuers of the risks associated with these cyber attacks, most notably ransomware attacks. And I think the Baltimore attack you mentioned earlier is a good point of reference. That had a total cost to the city estimated at more than $18 million. Obviously, Chicago's Transit Authority is a smaller credit than the city of Baltimore. But I think that gives an indication of both how problematic and how costly one of these attacks can be. And the fact that even with insurance, issuers may not be able to entirely insulate themselves from the monetary costs associated with these risks. So now the CTA, when they purchased that uh, insurance, their, well, they're, I guess, uh, moving forward on the purchase of a, the cybersecurity insurance policy. Is it an annual policy? And like the firm, I guess they purchased it from is, uh, I believe, overseas? Uh, yes. So it's a uh, UK-based company uh, associated with Lloyd's of, Lloyd's of London. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an annual $72,000 premium. And my understanding is that renews um, yearly. Okay, very interesting. So let's step back for a moment from away from the credits and let's look at the analytical side. Bondholders and analysts, you, so let's see. Let's look at the broader implications for the market itself and how these cyber risks uh, affect it. Sure. I mean, it's definitely a growing area of concern for bondholders and analysts. I attended a conference in November hosted by the Government Finance Officers Association, where cyber risks were one of the topics of discussion. And one speaker, Tom Koslick of Hilltop Securities, said he expects cybersecurity to be as pervasive an issue in the muni sector as unfunded pension liabilities have been in recent decades. And, you know, with that said, he said, just as with pension funding, participants in the market are going to have to really educate themselves on cybersecurity issues and study the risks that they carry for public entities going forward. Wow, so it's another worry for uh, the bondholders out there. You've got, everyone's talked about pension all these years, and now, boom, uh, in the last couple of years, cybersecurity is a major, major threat. So now, is there a growing sense of how to evaluate these cyber risks for individual credits? Right now, it's a situation where there have been enough of these high-profile attacks that there's definitely a heightened awareness of the risks uh, and that they're out there. But measuring the risk exposure at the individual credit level is still a big challenge. I think what Kathy said about preparedness rings true with a lot of what I've heard. Um, Jeff Buswick from S&P, who wrote that uh, report that Kathy referenced earlier, he was also at the conference I attended, and he made the point that strong response plans are just as important an indicator of an issuer's preparedness as deterrent deterrence efforts. He said the, the protocols an issuer has in place for uh, alerting higher-ups of potential data breaches and whether there's a strong sense by an issuer of what the process and what the costs are of rebooting a compromised system would be in the case of a ransomware attack. Those are all good indicators of, of preparedness. And I think what Kathy said about insurance being a potential indicator of preparedness was also a really strong point. Uh, in the case of Chicago's Transit Authority, for example, their policy, as I said, only covers up to $5 million, but it gives the authority access to security experts who can identify weak points in their security measures. And you know, it also shows that this is an issue that is on their radar that they're thinking about. 
I think it's also worth noting, though, that these threats are evolving on pace with new technology. So this is something that issuers are going to have to stay engaged with over time. So as technologies like artificial intelligence or some of this deepfake technology that we're seeing uh, come out and online videos, things like that, as that evolves, we're going to see new threats come along using those technologies. Okay, well, very interesting points from both of you. I'd like to thank you both for your time. Um, I do want to mention to our listeners that besides cybersecurity, you guys uh, have something else to look forward to, each of you, in 2020. I know with Kathy, you cover American Dream. We are looking forward to the retail shops phase, different phases of that complex. And with Chuck, you've got uh, transportation. You've got New York uh, implementing their congestion pricing next year. So it'll be a very interesting time in 2020. So, But as of today, I thank you both for your work. Uh, thank you to our listeners out there. I hope everyone had a good Thanksgiving. Uh, keep checking into debtwire.com for the latest on distressed mini credit. And take care, everybody. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to the Mini Lowdown with me, your host, Young Lim. If you want to know more, subscribe to DebtWire.com and follow us on social media. Please leave comments, rate, like, and share. Join us next week when we talk about the latest in the municipal bond market.